Well, good evening, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Thanks so much for joining us for Rattlecast number 68. We have Steve Henn as our special guest today. Uh, but before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and if you love poetry like we do, please be sure to subscribe. Click the like button right now. Tell your friends to uh, watch these episodes, whether it's on um, YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, um, all the other different platforms where this appears. Um, I really appreciate it if you could just click something to um, show that you enjoy what we're doing. Um, also, hopefully... This is happening again with... Uh, okay, we're good to go. So Facebook has some kind of glitch with their new system, which happened last week too. But if I refresh the page, it works. So we're good to go on Facebook too. Okay, now for the um, warm-up poem today, I thought that we would share a poem from our new chapbook, which just arrived. If you're a subscriber to Rattle, you receive a chapbook with every issue, of course. And um, this, this winter's chapbook is Adjusting the Lights by Tom C. Hunley. And... Uh, let me read the first poem here. You can check out Tom C. Hunley with um, Rattlecast number 50, no, 49. If you want to see more about Tom C. Hunley, we've published him a whole bunch of times. And um, here's the, the opening poem that sort of introduces his chapbook as our warm-up for today. This is, Dear God, show me how to walk in wonder. Dear God, when I watched my firstborn being born, I thought at first he looked like a carp, hooked and gasping, and I was struck dumb, as silent as you. My son couldn't speak for years, and when the doctor said autism, I couldn't speak, and forgive me, I turned my head from him. I know you'll understand. Forgive me for reminding you how you turned your head while your son hung there. Sometimes, God, I stumble like a foal, a fool, a fawn, a phony. I fail, I fall, I who taught, by tall example, my children to walk. Sometimes a wolf steps out of woods, and I need new words to ward him off, because the words I have have dried up in my throat. Dear God, show me how to walk in wonder toward you and knock me over when I walk away from you, but let me let my children walk away from me. Just remember the names I gave them. She who fills my head and heart with an unshakable ache. He who beats drums and beats me at ping-pong. He who slaps the bass and cracks the jokes. And he who ventures far into the cold to a place inside himself that no one else can ever enter. Not even I can go there. But I believe you can go there. Dear God, please go there. That's the first poem from uh, Tom C. Hunley's book, Adjusting to the Lights. If you enjoy that poem... um. You probably, if you're watching this, you probably already have a uh, copy. But if you don't, subscribe to Rattle, and it comes with your first issue. Um, and you can see the uh, copy of the winter issue there behind me. Um, we got a little art. I found a place that does really cheap printing of little canvas prints. So I think we're going to pop up the uh, new issue every time in the back wall there. Um, and then it's issue number 70, which is just about out. Now, um, as I mentioned, today's guest is Steve Henn. Um, Steve's been in a whole bunch of issues of Rattle and Poets Respond a bunch of times. He was a finalist for the Rattle Poetry Prize last year in 2019. He's also the author of Indiana Noble Sad Man of the Year, um, which is a couple years old, um, and God Said Let There Be Evolution, uh, Unacknowledged Legislations. Um, and his newest book 
Guilty Prayer is coming out for Main Street Rag um, just in a couple months. So we're sort of in between two books here, uh, but it's available for pre-order. So um, if you enjoy Steve's work and, and like this uh, conversation, go to Steve, uh, his website, The Real Steve Hen. That's The Real Steve, all like you'd expect. Hen was with two N's, therealstevehen.com. So uh, go there and pre-order the book from Main Street Rag Press. Uh, that's Guilty Prayer, which is coming out in just a couple months. And it's on sale right now um, for $7.50 so, um, as a pre-order. And uh, here he is, Steve Hen. Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? Hey, Tim, how's it going? It's great. Yeah, it's been a sort of a busy day for me, and um, I'm glad to get this Rattlecast going. Um, we've been a fan of your work for such a yeah. long time. Um, do you want to start out with a poem to um, kick it off? Sure. Sure, we'll start out with the poem that is first one in Indiana Noble's Sad Man of the Year. Um, it's a true story about a real experience, and it's called The Dawning. Maybe it's the heat that's melted something in my core, otherwise jagged, cynical, or aloof, here at Three Crowns Coffee. But when the first thing the homeless guy alone on the couch says to me is, if you ever need anything, don't be afraid to ask, I don't laugh or shake my head. I don't chuckle or guffaw or break eye contact at this humanizing and unprecedented offer of assistance from a stranger, even though it's curiously followed by nice to meet you and I'm here all the time, which is not entirely true, seeing as he's not been here any of the 10 or 15 times this summer I've been in, drinking iced tea and jotting a few lines or chatting up my 10-year-old. Still, I'm struck and lifted, pleased and pacified and inspired by such a gesture so simple and dignified from a man carrying clothes in plastic grocery bags, a strip of rag run through his belt loops, knotted and forming a tail there where the buckle would be. And I'm nearly embarrassed by his gracefulness. As he's leaving, he says, be careful now out in this heat. Sweet Jesus, is this happening? Who is this man? Do saints exist? Why do I feel like I'm going to cry? God in heaven, who I'll wake up doubting tomorrow or something or someone up there or out there, Tell me this is what the world is coming to. I so much want to believe in this. Tell me this is where we start in this. And that was the opening poem, The Dawning, from uh, Steve Hens' latest book that's out right now, Indiana Noble's Sad Man of the Year. And Steve, it's a book, um, it's very moving. And um, one of the things I love is that you yeah. include, the, all the artwork is, is by um, your four children, um, so, th yeah, so throughout right. the book, they have their drawings. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about mm -hmm. what the, the book um, is about and why you decided to include their art like that? Well, the book ended up having quite a few poems about the kids or that referenced uh, experiences with the kids. And really, it was, it was sort of a fluke that we, uh, we did the, the artwork. I just I made a suggestion that we could maybe see what it would look like to hand over a bunch of uh, just the kids stuff to the the designer. And so my kid, my two younger kids ended up drawing a lot more and uh, we handed it over. And the designer is a, um, a lady named Sky Santiago and, and did a really wonderful job. If you look through the book, you can kind of see that there's a thematic connection between a lot of the pictures and the poems on the same page as the picture. And I really think that's cool. And the cover art is my daughter, who is in art school now, did that when she was 15 years old. So seemed like the perfect image for the cover. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great title, too, the Indiana Noble Sad Man of the Year. And just so everybody at home sort of gets a, a sense of this, like here's the acknowledgments page. And there's um, 
this elephant man, elephant here. And then in the back, there, there are notes from um, Steve's kids. And um, here, yeah. Lucy, uh, or no, this is, yeah, this is Lucy. Lucy describes it as, that was just a random picture I drew. Or no, no, this was a, he's a fancy elephant, elephant man. He just got his brand new fancy striped pants. He's watering his garden by blowing water out of his nose so that the water goes into his roses and his strawberries and his tomatoes. He's also growing pumpkins. So you get these really cool insights on these um, really wonderful pieces yeah, of Yeah, the artwork. kids were pretty elaborate yeah. sometimes. Yeah, they uh, were. How they um, explained their, their work. Yeah, and it's, and it's such a, um, it's such a um, moving and, and really tragic story, too, that you tell in both Guilty Prayer uh, the newer book and this, they kind of feel like they go together, reading them both back to back. Um, and, and and you yeah. say that the book um, is sort of for your kids, I think, at some point, maybe in the introduction or somewhere, you say that the book is... Yeah, uh, I, I dedicate Sad Man to my kids because I just, at the time I was, I wrote, I wrote a lot of it. Um, it was a few years after their mom died. And uh, I got this invitation to write a bunch of poems and see if I could make something of it. And then it would be considered by... Uh, perhaps by a press at IUSB, so I got a little kind of poke in the ribs to do something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, fatherhood was was on my mind, and I was sort of I had to get more serious and rededicate myself to fatherhood because we weren't splitting any time with the kids. Now they were all mine mm -hmm. by the time I was writing this. And uh, it, you know, I I feel really grateful that I have them, and I don't think I would I don't think I would have most of the poetry or most of the things I've done with poetry, if I hadn't had kids to kind of just, just to be there in my life and to settle me down a little bit. Uh, um, what are their, what are their ages now? Have they read these books or, um, or not yet? Um, I, we don't talk about them a lot. Uh, Zaya has their, their, uh, 20, 17, 15 and 11. Mm -hmm. so. And we, we, they, they're, they're, uh, artistic. They do, they play music and they, write and they paint and so on so they're kind of those kind of kids their mother was an excellent painter was a really uh phenomenally talented and self-taught basically painter so. yeah after um reading um the the newer book guilty prayer um i think you dedicated it to um your your wife is the artist and so i looked up some of her paintings and they really are amazing um i think you, you tweeted yeah, one and yeah. it, was, it was i mean it's amazing what what is um uh, where are the paintings now are they are they there, some of them are most of the ones that are like out for the public to see are at a, a gallery and slash antique shop in Pearson, Indiana, called the Blue Pearl. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you can find most of the ones that are out to see. But you know, they all they all belong to the kids. They're all the kids' stuff, and I sort of handed over the any management that that would be entailed with the paintings to my oldest child and said, Here, "These are yours because it's really not my business." Mm -hmm. And it's it's not my right to say what happens with any of those paintings. Yeah, but they're really they're beautiful. And the cover image, the one the cover image of Guilty Prayer is a portrait that Lydia did of me, and it's maybe the one of a couple pieces of art that she gave to me. Yeah, let me let me pull that up for everybody. I, I forgot to put it in this uh, in this document, but here we go. So this is the this is the cover of uh, Guilty Prayer. I'll I'll just put it on on screen. Oop, hang on a second. There you go. Yeah, that's the cover of Guilty Prayer. Zoom in. Yeah, she did that in, in marker on poster board, and then what's the 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 stuff surrounding the exterior are, are things the kids did when they were real little. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't notice those details in there. That's a, a really cool cover too. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to read um, another? Do you want to read another uh, poem? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I think I'm going to do uh, I Used to Smoke Pot from Sad Man. And uh, this, this will not make me popular with a lot of Californians, I think, <laughs> but and a lot of Coloradans. But um, this is about a, a real experience also. It's for my brother Dan, too. Nothing in life makes you feel more like a slathering, burping, drooling mammal than an attack of the munchies. That's why I don't smoke pot. I am also not always gifted with a finely calibrated awareness of the social graces and nuances necessary to avoid looking and sounding like an ass clown in public. This is another reason I don't smoke pot. I'm already clueless. On pot, it's like cluelessness is powered up in my brain like I'm on the 11th level of suck in the video game called Real Life. I'm bipolar, too. I don't say this to commiserate or to squeeze pity out of you. These days, I consider it a subtle sort of bipolar. It's refined with my medication and without the pot. It's classy. It brings out poetry that pleases me. It's the kind of bipolar Donald Trump wishes he was. But back when... Not even while high, but even in rough temporal proximity to some occasion of highness. My manias were profoundly mania-ear, and my lows hit bottom like a depth charge filled with lead pudding sinking into a sea of shameless and self-aggrandizing self-pity and despair. Also, I would cry and freak out and stress over imaginary things. I would think people were following me. People were following me. I really mean it. When I was high, people were following me with bad intentions. I'm not presenting this as any sort of direct value judgment on whether or not you yourself personally in your private life should smoke pot. I'm here to equally equal opportunity piss off the Nancy Reagans and the deadheads. But for me, thinking well is a good thing. And it's hard enough when not high for me to think well, which is why when I was young and my girlfriend was pregnant and I was going back to college for the second or was it third time when my brother, younger than me, a college senior, sat me down and put his hand on my shoulder like he was the older one and said, don't get high. You're a better person without it. I feel very fortunate that rarely and thankfully I was of a mind to take what he said seriously. I was sober and thinking and predisposed to listen. That was I used to smoke pot from a noble... Yep. Indiana Noble Sad Man of the Year. Um, if anybody has any questions for uh, Steve Henn, um, just leave them in the chat window on either YouTube or Facebook, and I will pass them along. Um, but Steve, I've, I've always wondered, how, how did you get into poetry? Um, how long have you been writing it? it you, you feel like um, you know, some people say that poetry sort of saved my life is sort of a thing people say. And I wonder if poetry saved your mm -hmm. life. It kind of feels like it, do it did reading these books. Do you think that is the case? It's... Uh... It's a hugely important part of my life. I've even, there have been, there's this weird sort of mythology that to multiple times where I've tried to quit and I just keep going back to it or I get some some strange opportunity or something that, that's, that comes about. Like I've sort of tried to give it up and failed at giving it up. Why is it? Why, why, did, um, you, uh, but yeah, why did you want to give it up? Uh, well, just at, I, I, at various times I thought I was kind of out of stuff to say. And something would, would poke me in the ribs and get me going again. Um, I, I, I've been writing since I was about 15, since I was a freshman in high school. And, you know, not long after 
I started writing in a notebook regularly a little the summer after that school year. My dad died. And so that poetry writing was one way of coping. Um, it, that wasn't all that I wrote about, but it was sort of, that was always like psychologically in the background kind of thing. And, uh, I just, I, I, I didn't have the sense when I was in high school to be embarrassed by the fact that I carried a notebook around and wrote in it all the time. Like I wasn't self-aware or self-conscious enough to worry about that because I think a lot of young men in my area who were that age would not be seen doing that. But it just, it felt like a part of me from, from then. And I've been mostly at it ever since with a few times where I thought I was going to quit and then actually didn't. I'm sort of a similar question from uh, Melanie Sue Ellis. She asks, what, it's sort of different though. When did you know you were a poet? And when did the light turn on and stay on? Like, was there a time that you um, knew that it was a serious thing, that your life would be a big part of your life or um, that it sort of gradually had? It took a long time for me to take it seriously as like a real, like this is something I'm really pursuing, which is I'm at that point now. But I mean, ironically, one of the points where I turned a corner was when I wrote a poem called I Am a Poet. And uh, it was popular whenever I read it out. And I read it I read it out at the Green Mill, you know, at the Uptown Poetry Slam, and it w- went really well. And that that's at that point when I wrote that, I was writing much more regularly. And, and for audiences, usually, I, there was an open mic in town here. And I would uh, I would write stuff. And I figured out that if I, if I could be funny, then people would shut up and listen. So that's where a lot of that early material, where I use a lot of humor, that comes from trying to get people to turn around and take a look and stop clinking their drinks at the bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You mentioned, um, I think I saw on uh, Twitter maybe that you said, um, I, we posted a poem from last year's election. I think it's in the, in the book maybe, but, um, yeah, you said, um, you know, this is when I, you know, wrote temporarily like the way I used to write. How would you, th- how would you say your writing has evolved? Um, you know, I, I think of you as somebody who writes through sort of dark humor, um, but, mm-hmm. but has that evolved over time? Well, the subject matter has, has changed quite a bit and I'm, I'm into, I'm, I've gotten in the last, in the, in the book that's coming out and even in stuff that I'm still sending out to magazines that, that are in a couple of additional manuscripts. Um, I'm really getting into material that's pretty heavy stuff. Experience, life experience, Lydia's death and, uh, I, I started writing about my dad after a while in ways I never had, and uh, I was hospitalized in psychiatric facilities multiple times in the late 90s, and I didn't write about that until, actually, until I got sober, which was 2017. So uh, I, a lot of that stuff simmered under the, kind of bubbled up, or bubbled underneath mm-hmm. for years and years, and I finally, when I, when I quit drinking so much, I just... just decided I had to say something about it. So it started to come up. So the subject matter has really changed. And because that subject matter has changed, the humor is not always at the forefront like it used to be in the earlier books. Mm-hmm. Well, um, do you want to read maybe two more poems and we'll talk a little more? Sure. I'm going to do two from Guilty Prayer. And the first one is called A Species of Creature. And we'll follow that with losing my shit. Okay, this is a species of creature. I'm the kind of guy who would hire a hooker so she could hold me while I ugly cry into her breasts. 
the more true it feels, the less funny it gets. Are animal zoos cruel? A, yes. B, no. C, is it okay if I sit this out one damn time? Damn it. Jesus. D, let's ask Twitter. According to Uberfax, there were human zoos as late as the 1950s where white people put people of other races on display. There's no sitting this one out, Bob. Shame, anger, and guilt seem like normal responses to this information. So don't read the comments. Someone is bound to respond, hashtag all lives matter. We are a fucked up species of creature. You think horses have this many varieties of mental illness? Somebody retweeted somebody saying, Disney withdrawal is the absolute worst for real. Call me if you have any idea what we think we're even doing. Hashtag, I think there's something wrong with us. And then this next one includes a brief Bob Dylan impersonation, and it's called Losing My Shit. <sighs> Just sat down in a big pink pile of Himalayan salt, and boy, do I feel no different. How does it feel? How does it feel? You tell me. I'm not in touch with my emotions. I only have two, neutral and breaking the sound barrier. It's overwhelming. Like being sad with a raging boner. I love a good sadgasm. I'll rip off Homer anytime. He's funnier than more intentional. Feeling good about myself is what I'm all about. I'm so self-assured I can power a fleet of animatronic ninjas with my mental energies. People speak without thought endlessly all the time. Don't worry about it if you've just started paying attention. God bless your merry gentlemen and carry on your wayward sons. Gimme, gimme the days upon the highways of the night. A good woe-woe, carefully inflected, adds minutes to your life. It's the only reverse cigarette I've ever heard of. People say it works better than you might believe. You know what I hate? I hate when I'm losing my shit and some faux zen phony tells me to just breathe. And that was uh, Losing My Shit from Steve Hen's forthcoming yep. book, um, Guilty Prayer. Um, you know, I, I found that line so interesting about um, um, we are a fucked up species of creature. Do you think horses have this many varieties of mental illness? And um, And of course they don't. Like, why do you think we're so fucked up as human beings? <laughs> Um, that's a good question because it's 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 uh ubiquitous everybody has a diagnosis um that's kind of the, where we're at and uh you know in school i'm a teacher and in school they make they they make they've made a big deal in the last several years about social emotional learning because kids just aren't learning how to cope with life and things like uh, suicidal ideation and things like that are way up with teenagers like everywhere across the country um it seems like we're we're producing maladapted people. There's, and I, I, I guess for me, I think there's something, there's, there are things about our culture that are definitely not healthy. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that manifests in, uh, you know, people with psychological or psychiatric problems. Maybe that's part of the reason why we have so much of that in this country. Yeah, I feel like we, you know, we live in a way that's not natural at all to how we evolved. I think that's the the main issue you know like we're yeah. we're supposed to be like looking for food and being with a little tribe and and that's sort of what life is supposed to be and instead it's just so so complicated that we can't even wrap our heads around 
um, all the complexity. And um, right. it, it's really, I, I feel like we're kind of, um, we're all sort of swimming in an ocean of like lost, you know, just too much, <laughs> too much. Yeah, we're not, we're not built for this system that we've made. You know, we're just, we're not naturally built for it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned teaching and it was something I was wondering about too. Um, Nathan White asks, how has teaching in public schools impacted your writing and the styles that you choose to use? And and I was thinking about that too, reading your books, because you're so, um, maybe one of the most like hard on your sleeve, like honest about your own life and your personal experiences, poet, um, that I know, like you're way up there and, um, you know, telling your own life story. And then being a teacher, um, you know, I've had some people um, who are poets that we've published in the past say, hey, can you pull this poem off the internet because parents are finding it. And, yeah. and my, my my school principal found this poem and, and it's about like sex or drugs or something. And right. um, and did, does that have any impact on um, on your writing or how have you managed I mean, to... I used to think I used to think I was going to get in trouble for some of this stuff. And when I was I ran a magazine, a small press magazine called Fight These Bastards for about eight issues. And uh, I was I was kind of like I was early in my teaching career. I was afraid I was going to get in some kind of trouble for what we were publishing. And really what it amounted to is they nobody really cares. <laughs> People just don't care. And and I know I'm, I'm from what I you know, I think maybe the principal has been alerted to this or that. But to his credit, he doesn't. He doesn't try to censor me, and he and I and I keep this stuff. I do talk about being a poet in class more than I used to, but I don't I don't bring in anything that I've written really, and I, I certainly don't bring anything that would be like red flaggy for the general parenthood population of Warsaw, Indiana. You know, so I try to respect that at school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just never it's never been to to the credit of the administration and our school system. Nobody's ever had a problem with me doing this and i i feel you know i feel pretty fortunate because th- things could be different as far as that goes yeah uh, one of the the poets that we uh talked to recently in, in september was um alejandro escude and he has a, lo- a lot of problems with um the way administrators are so like heavy-handed and the way mm-hmm. sort of students and parents sort of have all the power um over teachers right. in a way um you know like um like talking about just trying to get into college and and I don't know. Do you, do you have any, like, like what is school like? Like, what is it like being a teacher in 2020? Um, do you find um, what, what's changed over the years? Um, is it similar to when it was, you know, you started in the nineties or whenever that was, or, um, you know, I bet what I think as far as at least what I teach, the material I teach and so on is we tend to ask a lot more of our students than, huh. than they were asking of us in the nineties. And I was in honors classes in the nineties and all that, especially in English, but, Man, the the bar is pretty high for the kids who want to do well, and we we have a lot of honors and dual credit and that kind of stuff. So if you want to pursue education or your education seriously as a as a secondary student, you can. Um, on the other hand, what's different? Well, I think kids in general are probably reading less, but I don't have any complaints about as far as kids or anything that's any different than anybody would complain normally in any generation you know you want them to give you more effort or or whatever you know um i don't know if it has changed a ton i get one thing that that really bothers me is the data fetish data and uh and prescriptive things where i i just can't stand the idea of being given a script for what i'm supposed to do in the classroom and being told here execute this like that's not what teaching is about to me so I try to avoid as much as I can. 
getting myself cornered in situations where that that's the situation. And I've been given uh, a lot of freedom to in my classes to teach stuff that I want and to teach how I want. And uh, I got I've got a lot of help from my older colleagues when I started out were very helpful. I had a lot of people giving me advice. And I think you kind of have to you have to go to the veterans when you're young and kind of feed off them a little bit. And, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's this idea that veteran teachers are sort of crusty and, you know, cynical and so on. And I get that in part because I'm, I'm 17 years in now. Um, but I think there's a lot of wisdom there too. The experience, an experienced teacher is a, is an asset to have in your high school and in your English department too. Um, how do you feel like uh, the kids in your classes take to poetry? Is it something that you um, feel like you can let sort of light that fire in them or, or is that, is it something that you're well, able to do? I've, yeah, I've used a lot of stuff in my uh, 12 CP and 12 AP classes. Um, I've introduced them to various things. Um, so I, I try to put it out there. Not a lot of kids really grab onto it, but some do. And it, it sort of go, it goes up and down year by year. Some years that uh, we have a poetry unit in my uh, AP class, which is an honors class, and I'll get a bunch of kids pulling books off my shelves and checking them out from my my classroom library. This year, I've had zero students pull anything off my shelf. Hmm. So it just it just sort of some classes are are more creative writing sort of oriented than others, and it just sort of there's never. There's never one year that's just like the one that came before it. Is your is your school um, in person now, or is it a uh, distance? We've been mostly in person. We're distance mm-hmm. now. We were distance these last two days, and then we're going to be online learning for Monday and Tuesday next week. And the plan is to put us back on campus, put the kids back on campus because I'm on campus anyway on uh, Wednesday of next week. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of case, there's a lot more positive cases in our county, so it's kind of like who knows what they're going to do when we get to. Tuesday being over next week, they may change plans. We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, yeah. And our school district is entirely online. Um, in California, the whole um, the whole state is, I think, or maybe a few places yeah. are allowed to be um, um, sort of hybrid or something. But um, I th- I've heard stories that the kids are just doing terribly um, with that kind of learning. Do you have you had experience any yeah. experience with that, like with the distance stuff yet? Yeah, we went online for last year for the last what quarter quarter and a half mm-hmm. something like that. We went. We went all online and it was rough. I mean, I didn't like it at all, to be honest. I like being in a room and being able to talk to kids and uh, being able to interact. Even like this year, we're on campus, but even this year I had, because of contact tracing and because of the COVID criteria that they were putting in, like I had to put my desks in a grid mm-hmm. and space them out as much as possible. And that's, I never put my desks in a grid. They're always in a couple of concentric circles. And so I've had to adjust my approach a little bit, but in my opinion, I, if, if we can be on campus and not be a hot spot for COVID, if we can do those things uh, simultaneously, then let's be on campus. But I think what they're seeing now is it's, it's kind of taken off a little bit and they're, so they're taking a break. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you want to turn back to a couple more poems? Sure. Um, let's do suicide note from guilty prayer. This is for my old friend, Zeb. Suicide note. Hey, Zeb. Remember when you dubbed Soundgarden for me in high school and I said it sounded like a symphony of chainsaws? Chris Cornell died today. 
God bless that man and his gift of a generation's greatest pipes. So much of what I learned to appreciate, I disregard at first listen. I saw Sparkle Horse once opening for Mazzy Star. My brother and I agreed that Hope Sandoval looked and sounded beautiful and that Mark Linkhouse must have been a little too into his artistic self. Now I can't listen to It's a Wonderful Life without crying. My family never knew Jack about modern music, but my dad did keep a copy of Portnoy's Complaint on the bookshelf behind the television. That book was good for me or it wasn't whatever. It didn't matter, or it mattered less than I'd have over-eagerly argued it did. In my escort that we called the Big Blue Shit, we'd sing along to Eddie Vedder's I'm going hungry. We could only falsetto pantomime Cornell's part. I remember once when Musgrave walked into his classroom and chalked, no one here gets out alive on the, on the blackboard. A bunch of kids were like, what's that supposed to mean? But you and I pretended that we knew just what he meant. And that was a suicide note from a Guilty Prayer, um, Steve Hen's newest book that's forthcoming in a couple months. Um, see, what is your um, philosophy for, like, how do you approach writing a poem? Like, like, where do you find inspiration? And then once you do know what you're writing about, like, how do you enter that space? And, and what is your goal? Um, like, how, how, do, how do you approach the, the composition of poetry? Um, sort of, a lot of it is sort of intuitive. Uh, for a while, for a long time, my process was to write and rewrite by hand, maybe five or six times to, to, to rewrite all the way down the page by hand, not typing or anything. And I did that for a long time. The, uh, um, it sort of changes. Uh, I used to get topical ideas where I have an idea of the subject matter and I just kind of riff on it for a while. Uh, lately, it's, it's more the case lately that I sit down not knowing what I'm going to say and I just start putting things down and see what comes out. But um, it's never, I've never had one way of doing it. I've always done, you know, done whatever seemed to, to spark the idea at the moment. Um, and I've never had a write, I've never had like a certain time of day that I write. I have a notebook handy. And there, usually I go through stretches where I'm really pretty on fire with stuff. And I'm picking up the notebook a lot. But there's times like lately, I, I've, I've been busy with school and I've not done a whole lot. I've put maybe four or five or six poems down in the last three weeks or so, which is not a lot for me usually. When I when I'm putting a lot down, they're they're coming pretty fast. But uh, I don't worry about it if I if uh, if I lose the if I lose the feeling or lose the kind of writing buzz that you get, and I can't get it back. I just wait; it eventually comes back. It's um, and how do you know like um, when a poem's finished? Like, are, is there sort of a like like is there something that like clicks in your mind, or, or you surprise yourself? Some people say well. I mean, some, you know, it, there's uh, the ending. Ha you have to get the ending right, um, and it has to close. And even then, like, there's you can go back and rewrite things, and there are things you do in the body of the poem earlier that, that you change. But for me, it has to. The note you hit at the very end is an important thing. If it doesn't feel like an ending, then it's not really much of an ending. And uh, a lot of times I end, the ending is rather abrupt for my poems. Like I realize that's all I have to say about the thing and I, I just stop. Um, and uh, that's, I, there's some, that, that, that last, 
note that you hit, I guess, with the that last note emotionally or whatever is an important piece of the poem to me. And usually, I oftentimes I I go by that. Do you um, do you know what that note's going to be ahead of time, or is that the the surprise? Oh no, I don't. That's part of the surprise. You don't. I mean, even, I I have topical ideas sometimes, but even if I have a topical idea, I don't necessarily know where I'm going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And usually the poems end up better when I have a little less of an idea of what I'm going to do with it. And I just kind of riff. Um, one of my friends who's been, who was an editor, he was the editor for the sad man book, Joe Cheney, who's a professor at IUSB, um, mentioned once that it, it's, it seems that I have to get the voice right, that there's something about the voice and the rhythm of the poem. Mm-hmm. And once that starts rolling, then I'm able to, I'm able to manipulate that in rewrites and so on. And I don't rewrite a ton. I rewrite some, but I'm more likely to do five or six drafts than 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's hear another one. Um, wh- which one did you want to do next? Okay, let's try uh, Recognition. And this is a Thanksgiving poem. Uh, recognition. I don't think I have that. Let me... Um... Or did I not? I had it listed uh, you know, before dissociation. I think I just didn't uh, didn't put it down. So hang on. Everybody can just wait one second. I will pull it up. Okay. <laughs> I skipped that one as I was pulling out the poems. Um, All right. Let's see. I just have to find it. Um, do you want, you know, I kind of have a request. Do, would you want to read? Okay. One of the poems made me tear up. Uh, yeah, they was, do that to me too. Yeah. Um, poem for the mother of my children. Um, really got to me when I was reading it earlier. Would you want to share that with everybody? I think that sort of might tie things together too. Yeah, a little if I bit. Can find I'm, I'm going to have to leaf through some pages first. Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. You want that one first, son? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you do that one? Okay. Poem for the mother of my children. Uh, I guess I should say as a, as a framing for this poem that um, my, my, my kid's mom, Lydia Hen, died in August 2013, and she died by suicide. I wonder if it was an inability to cope with 1,000 minor disappointments that drove you to put the belt around your neck. I am with you in that sense, losing battle after battle, hoping and dashing hopes, killing my will on half chances and failed attempts, but I am nowhere near suicide. Still, I think now I understand you felt you really had no one, not me any longer, certainly, not your dubious boyfriend. The afternoon before you killed yourself, you hugged each of our children inside my minivan and told them you loved them. Hindsight worried us that night. I'm sure you felt a lightness, a peace. Because our oldest daughter and I shared an Apple account then, I knew she sent you message after message, begging for response after you were already gone. Yeah, that that poem just really, really hits me, man. Um, Whew. Um, thanks for sharing that. I know I know it wasn't wasn't planned, but just scrolling by, I happened to see it, and uh, thought that maybe people might like to know um, more of what the books. So that's the, sort of the heart of the book. Is that subject? That is, yeah. The poems about Lydia are really at the heart of yeah. the book. There's other things in there, but those are the main. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I have recognition here. Was the one you said right? Okay. Yeah. Recognition. Okay. Also a Lydia poem. Legend has it Sid Barrett walked into and out of Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here recording session, and no one in the band recognized him. 
This belongs in the Gnostic Gospels of rock and roll. I don't know if I want to feel Lydia's presence in the room this first sober Thanksgiving since her four-year-old death, or if I'd rather not be struck weeping. We came home from afternoon turkey and I felt spiritually unnerved, so I got out the ice cream and ate it. A little later, I still felt empty and filled myself with warmed up homemade mac and cheese. Then I noticed a headache and took two ibuprofen. Nothing improved, so I bought and drank an energy drink at the only big business open this day. And when my head still hurt, I took another ibuprofen. By the time I realized I was trying to cure a spiritual condition by shoving shit in my face, I was puking in the toilet before a desperate shower. Don't let the sun go down on your grievance. Don't let your ex-wife haunt you when ghosts don't exist. They tell me the only way through it is to feel it. When I talk to God, I say, I'll accept anything, maybe even death, dear Lord, but please, not this immense sadness. And that was recognition from uh, Guilty Prayer, Steve Hen's forthcoming book from uh, Main Street Rag Press. And just, I mean, you can, the, the rawness of these poems is really, I mean, um, you you don't hold back. Like, you let people yeah. know what happened and how it feels to go through all the things you've gone through. Um, and one of the things you write about too is, is alcoholism. Um, mm-hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about um, like how that, how that came to happen and then how you were, cause you've been sober for, I think three years now you mentioned. Somewhere. I've been sober for almost four years since uh, January, 2017. Oh, okay. Um, really in the fall of 2016. And so for the calendar year of 2017, that first year I got sober, I was writing a lot of these poems and guilty prayer. And I, w- I guess I was writing them because I couldn't hide behind, you know, bottles and bottles of beer. Um, I had to deal with the things that I was thinking about. I couldn't kind of wipe them out of my, consciousness with alcohol and um yeah i uh i don't know what to say i mean that's 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 really that's the moment when the writing changed from what the subject matter used to be to what the subject matter more often has been which is the heavier stuff and i just found that i had to write about some things that i've been through in order to uh keep going without going back to drinking Mm mm-hmm yeah, there's something about just hearing um, honest accounts of people's stories that, that means so much to other people who read them. Um, you know, like knowing that you're not alone, that kind of thing, and um, knowing that everybody struggles. Um, are, are there poets or, or writers that you've sort of grappled, you know, like um, been drawn toward uh, who, who do that same kind of thing for you that you're sort of doing for other people with these these books? Um, no, I don't know. I have a lot of... There's there's a, a lot that I like. Um, I'm I'm late to every party with with poets because I always feel like I get into people long after they've had their moment. Um, I like Larry Levis a lot, and he's one who can be pretty emotionally raw. And I really just discovered him a few years ago. The first poet who really changed my mind and woke me up to what poet could be was the same the same guy that I've seen you say that you like. It's Bob Hickok. And I wrote my whole second book when I was reading everything I could get my hands on by Bob Hickok. And I was really trying to, I wasn't, wasn't necessarily a lot of conscious imitation, but I was really kind of trying to write in, the, in a similar manner. Yeah. It's um, interesting that you said it because your poems, they, I don't know, the, the, the similarities are interesting because you, you're a much more like raw, direct poet. 
um, who's storytelling. Mm -hmm. And Bob is like yeah. jumping between things, but still the way you move through a poem is very similar, I think. Yeah, the, that rhythm, the, his rhythm, I think, is something that I really picked up on. Mm -hmm. And as, yeah, and it's true that there, there's really nothing that's uh, taboo for me to talk about. And, and, I, and another thing that my friend Joe has, has noted and we've talked about what I've been doing for the last several years is he says, you're really close to the, to the poems. He said, there's not much distance between your lived experience and what you put in the poems. And that's a pretty fair assessment. I, some, a lot of the times I find myself wanting to tell what, at least what I think is the truth. That seems to matter. And I know a lot of people manipulate details and they change things to make poems. They think that changing or manipulating the experience into something else will make the poem more effective as a poem, but I'm really not, I don't write that way very often. Mm -hmm. I try to tell the truth as I understand it. I think it helps me most as far as the, write, the writing process, just to try to get it right as, as far as what happened. Yeah, it always seems to me, I've said this on these, these podcasts before, but um, I always feel like reading submissions, all I'm doing is sort of listening for truth. Um, and there's sort of mm -hmm. some, some ways you can come at truth at an angle, and sometimes you can come through truth directly. But I feel like if there's one yeah. thing that poetry is really doing, it's just that it's it's speaking the truth, um, and and, and not in a in a way that's not sort of partly a lie, you know. I mean, because so much is, right. so much is um, clouded by circumstance and the complexities of the world and things, and and poetry is getting to the heart of um, of what's real. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, well, let's do another poem. Um, what do we have next? Let's do dissociation. Okay. I've never read this without crying, so see how this goes. Some things cannot be talked about. The last time I saw my father lying on the living room floor, how I sat at my bedroom desk, unable to concentrate on driver's ed homework, repeating in my head, I didn't need to run through the woods to the hospital on the other side of the neighborhood. Mom said this was nothing, so it would be nothing. Any moment now, back to our regularly scheduled life. Any minute now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Some moments I live again. So many moments when nothing happened. Confined in Bloomington, I was sure I would be beaten. I waited for it. I didn't do anything. It was like they expected me to acquiesce. We want to punish you when we want you to want your punishment. Crave it. Lick it up like spilt whiskey on the hardwood floor. Nothing happened. Nothing ever happens again and again. When he died, it was nothing. And she, she was nothing. Another trick another actor playing a role to provoke a response, another cipher in this matrix of sorcery, this joke of a life the gods gave me. But I do love the children she gave me. Spare them, spare them, oh God, if it is true that you are good, because I want to believe it, to believe in you. Spare my children. I do love them so. Thanks so much, Steve. That's another another beautiful, touching poem, Dissociation, from uh, Guilty Prayer. Um, 
yeah thanks for reading that steve um all these poems are i mean that's the the feeling you get reading reading these books is just um that your heart is bare on the table for for all of us to to connect with and um i really appreciate just writing in this style um uh, let me see if we have any other questions from uh from the audience everyone's just saying um you know hearts and and uh and oh shits and things like that. Um, but everybody's really moved by your poems. I'm trying to find out if there's any other comments uh, or questions to pass along. But um, just just such just so touching all of these poems. Um, and, it, and it is an interesting yeah. transformation too from um, from the earlier work that, that was more humor based. Right. I mean, we have the the colon cleanse poem, which is one of the ones that I always remember. Right, that one people, for rattle, people yeah. either loved that poem or hated that poem. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Joe wouldn't put it in Sandman. He refused to put it in. I mean, he was, I think he was probably right, but he was like, people don't want to read it. Yeah. I, I, you know, sometimes I wonder if it probably doesn't fit in this book. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if we go a little too far. If anybody wants to, um, you know, read that poem, they can at the rattle.com. Just look up a colon cleanse, but the, uh, a slurry slurry cleanse. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but we, we thought it was funny. Um, (laughs) right. You have to be able to go places where other people won't go yeah. sometimes, especially with humor. If you want to be fresh with mm-hmm. humor, you have to be able Yeah, to that's the thing. I mean, there's some there's some topics that just people won't touch. And um, and you, yeah. you've never seen a poem after after two million poems submitted. I've, it's the only one that's ever been submitted on that topic. And <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always interesting to see. But then the but then these poems are so raw and, and moving. Um, let's see. Yeah, they were I was working through some things when I wrote these, for sure. Do you feel like um, you've sort of journeyed through that pain? Um, do, do you think you're in a better place after having written these two books? Um, yeah, probably. It's uh, it, it gets hard. I've only done, like, like in the past two years, I've done maybe five or six readings total. And I've cried at every reading. Mm-hmm. This is like this is the new normal for me when I read poems anywhere because I usually read some of these ones that are real kind of hard hitters emotionally, and um, it, I do feel like I've it's helped me to write them and to work on them and it's in a way it's helped me to sort of experience and turn it into a piece of language art and, and kind of remove it from myself a little bit. But at the same time, whenever I read them. You know, I, I can I can get caught up in what I'm saying in the middle of saying it. It's, hmm. it's so the you know the, the the trauma can kind of be not really re-experienced, but you can feel you can feel what the poem I can feel what the poem is about sometimes when I'm reading them and it catches me short. Yeah, do you feel I, I heard somebody explain it as um that like grief and um and pain you know, emotional pain like a, a poem or just any piece of art that you create sort of makes a box for it that then you can sort of have control mm-hmm. and it's in its place and you sort of don't feel like you need to experience it. You know, you don't have to carry it around with you because it's like in this container of the poem and you can set it aside. Do, do you find that or, um, or not? Cause I, I've always wondered about that. I've never, I've never heard that, but I mean, that sort of makes sense. But, um, you know, I think once, once I put it into the poetry, I'm finding, I mean, sometimes I return to things that I've, that I've experienced before and I write a new poem about kind of the same thing. Um, but it, for some reason, it helps to put it into the writing work. There's something about releasing it, putting it on the page, and even about crafting it into something. You know, you can feel kind of good about sharing it when you feel like you've made something 
more sharing of the of, of the shareable experience you had. You know? Yeah. Um, well, let's do. Uh, I think we have two more poems that you wanted to read. Um, is that right? Um, I've only got one on my oh, list. Okay. But... Well, um, let me see. Do you want to? Um, yeah. Let's do. I think we have time for two more. If you want to finish up with two. Okay. Um, I know which one I want to finish on. Let's try this one. This was, I think this was published in Trailer Park Quarterly. And then, well, so we'll go with a sign of a, of a joke. And then I'll finish with In the Classroom, which is my favorite poem I've ever written about teaching. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so this. So is this from Guilty Prayer? Yes, from Guilty Prayer. Okay. I'll, I'll find it really quick. Oh, here we go. Okay. Sign okay. of affection or the butt of a joke. Here we go. Right. Go ahead. I can understand why you take a dog for a run in the woods, but not a radio. I have to remind myself I didn't earn this piece. People greet me on the sidewalk. Do I look like less of a drunk? I wore my Bowie shirt to the busy woods because I didn't want to turn off the evangelicals with the vegetarian alcoholic one. Sunday. Some of the sermonized mean mugged my bi-curious hero shirt anyway. My second year teaching, kids posted Labyrinth Bowie on the back classroom wall and joked about his package. Then they bought me that t-shirt. A sign of affection or the butt of a joke? Hard telling. Surreal teenagers. Once, a student really enjoyed telling how in the car line leaving campus at 3 o'clock one afternoon, she got a cell phone shot of me driving and picking my nose. Uh, so that was a, a sign of affection or the butt of a joke from uh, Guilty Prayer. Um, over on, um, so we have a couple. Um, so so Nathan White, who I think you might know, just based on some of the other comments yeah. here. Um, he He's has, one of my uh, best friends, yeah. What is your favorite drink of choice these days now that you're um, you're not drinking uh, alcohol? <laughs> Nate and I used to drink a lot of beer together. Uh, it's He knows it's Coca-Cola. I've got a Coke <laughs> problem right now. Oh, yeah. I went from an alcohol problem to a Coke problem, but. I'm, I'm managing. Is it Diet Coke that's, at least? No, just regular Coke. Oh, I, eat, I drink the really unhealthy stuff. That, that's tough. And, uh, <laughs> so if it's a if it's a stressful day, I might go through four or five cans, and I know that's unhealthy, and nobody has to lecture me on that. I get it. <laughs> I'll 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 get through it eventually and stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, do you want to finish up with one last poem and, and set this up too? Why is this your your favorite poem? Uh, this is just, it's called In the Classroom, and it's my favorite poem about teaching that I've ever written. It's also, this is a, another true experience that happened this way. And uh, I think because it just shares a really simple uh, moment that happened that I, I was aware of the moment, and it seemed like everybody was sort of at peace, and everybody was doing the thing they were supposed to do in the English classroom, and we felt, we felt very in tune. The whole thing felt in tune, so I had to put, put it down. Uh, and it's called In the Classroom. We were reading Ada Lamone's poem, American Pharaoh, in AP English, talking about the Twitter conversation last night about what poets own what words. Some say Lamone owns horses. Others say it's Patti Smith's word. A pair of boys are good friends and sit to the left of me in the circle, and when one boy sneezed, the other raised his hand and touched him on the arm in a gesture of comfort and friendship, his hand patting there kindly, platonically, but not in that dumb male way of I'm touching you, but don't worry, not sexually. One said, bless you. The other said, 
Thank you. In that moment, everything seemed right. There we were doing what we were doing in the world, doing what we were supposed to be doing, reading poems in the classroom. And in the next instant, Grace to my right illuminated so much of the poem with her understanding and her insight. And her insight. It was all right. Everything was good. We were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's a great, great ending to that poem and a great poem to end on. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Steve. Uh, always a pleasure to see you. And uh, thanks for sharing these wonderful poems. A lot of uh, yeah. hearts and tears on uh, on YouTube and, and Facebook and, and Twitter right now. All right. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks yeah. for the hearts, everybody. Yeah. Have, have a good night, Steve. See ya. And that was Steve Henn uh, with his newest book. Um, well, he has two books. There's, um, let me put this on screen one more time. This is uh, his book that's out right now from uh, Wolf, is it Wolfson Press? Yeah, Wolfson Press. This is um, Indiana Noble Sad Man of the Year. With these wonderful drawings, once again, by his children. He has, he has four really cool artist children. And uh, you can find it at uh, wolfson.com. IUSB.edu. That's Wilson Press out of South Bend, Indiana. And um, then his more his uh, forthcoming book is Guilty Prayer, which you can find on um, go to therealstevehen.com. That's his website, and you can pre-order it right now. It's only seventy-five or seven dollars and fifty cents uh, plus shipping and handling for pre-orders right now from um, uh, Main Street Rag Press. So go to therealstevehen, and that's hen with two n's so make sure you get the right email address it's in the show notes uh, pretty much anywhere you're watching this it'll be in the show notes to find guilty prayer available for pre-order it's coming out in february i believe um and uh, now let's move to our open mic portion of the show and um let's see so the uh prompt for this week was let me find it the prompt for this week was, I'll put it on screen too, uh, randomstreetview.com is a site that randomly generates photographs of streets all over the world. Find a photo that speaks to you and write a poem about it. That is uh, this week's prompt. And so if you wrote a poem about a random street view, um, please do join us. And um, let me put these numbers on the screen here. Um, all you have to do, first you email the poem to openmic at rattle.com. That's openmic at rattle.com. And uh, then give me a phone call, 818-850-7727. Let it ring a couple times, then hang up, and I'll just call you back when the time is right. That's 818-850-7727. Or even better, you could be on video and uh, contact me over Skype. So just send a chat message to Rattle Poetry, all one word. Let me know you want to share your poem, and I will um, call you up when the time is right. So... um, for the prompt this week, I, I don't know about everybody else, but I ended up just being so fascinated by random street views that I didn't leave myself a whole lot of time to write um, a poem. And uh, I had like 10 minutes, and I'm not really happy with my results. But um, I ended up with this, uh, with this street view. This is a, um, what is it called? It's a Testof testifer street i can't remember right from uh, in berlin and it's just so strange that there's this uh, blurred building here um 
and and everything else is uh, not blurred. And it turns out that that is the Urban Mojo Bed and Breakfast, which does not want you, I think, to know um, what street, <laughs> what the surroundings look like. So maybe it's hidden. I don't know what. But um, this was my really quick poem, which um, I actually, I think it, I find something really interesting about this photo and the people on the side too here um, across the street and all the stuff going on. Um, and that there's a really nice looking bed and breakfast hidden by, by blur on Google Maps right here. And this is Urban Mojo. So here's my little poem, Urban Mojo. A fern fireworks its way through the steel grate of the parking garage next door. And when you arrive, the mechanics at the chop shop will, will turn to greet you. All the windows are bordered and barred on Tasdorfer Street in a display of the finest local art. Every room features a view of the central exhibit, the nature of rust. A train traverses the bridge twice a day. Enter the blurred blob. Enjoy your stay. I think I might expand this into something more real. But that was my poem, um, and that is the urban mojo right here. Uh, bed and breakfast. So um, for Megan, um, she wrote, she didn't include the picture. And if you include the picture, I'll show it. And if you didn't, that's fine too. It's, a lot of times it's fun just to read the poem without the picture to go along with it. This is Via uh, Palmyra from Tierralta, Cordoba, Colombia. The man in the cowboy hat, shirt the color of a summer sea, has always stood right here, flanked by a shining heap of green watermelons. The couple on the red motorcycle, infant between them, has always been passing through, the woman's hair swooping behind her like a question never answered. The sign on the yellow snack shack reads, Refresh Our Passion, but no one is behind the counter. The cans of soda have always slept in their refrigerated case like birds in a cage. The clouds above are dark, weary. They part for a moment, make a clearing for the gods to watch, as they always have what we do, what we make, what we leave in our wake. That's Megan's poem, Via... Uh, Palmyra. So let's see what you have. Um, let's see. Let's let's call up uh, Nivedita really quick because she's uh, she's in India and um, waiting to go to bed. I think it's like ten p.m. there. Hello. Hey, Nivi, how are you doing today? My work actually. Oh, are you? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about that. So, uh, do you want me to just show your poem and read it? Oh, I would. Be happy if you could read it for me. <laughs> okay, I will do. Um, yeah, well, have a great uh, rest of your, your work day. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so, uh, so I guess, yeah, that's right. It's the, um, I don't know what I was thinking. It's the, the morning shows that uh, <laughs> it's night for Nivy. Now it's her day, and so she's waiting before she goes to work to try to read this. But this was um, her, her, uh, her prompt poem. Um, this is, let me uh, get this. So this is a street view. It looks like it says, um, I'm not even sure what that says. Is that, I think it's in Russian, so I'm not sure. It's somewhere in Russia. And um, this is called The Scale of Nature. Power lines that usually tower over the cityscape, now dwarfed by the craggy mountain slopes. The scale of nature. Oh yeah, look at those little tiny, um, if everybody can see it, those little tiny power lines and uh, dwarfed by the landscape the very bleak huge landscape of um 
I'm not sure where that is. Okay, let's uh, let's see what else we've got. We have a two seven zero number. Let's call that up. So the telephone is ringing. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share uh, a poem? Um, actually, uh, Miss Mia did it. So we will meet her. Uh, you should have it. It's the uh, Cameron Gray had sent it in. Ah, okay, I do. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so we have this um, poem by Mia, uh, who's eight years old. Cameron Gray and explained this in an email, yeah. This is Miss Mia, so let me, uh, let me find her. I'll, I'll put on the screen. Um, this, is a, this is a view she had. Read, read your poem to her. Yeah, I'm Feet in the neighborhood. All the cars and the grass and the wind. It's beautiful, but also wind. When little neighbors come out of their houses and see the little mouses and the little mouse houses. And when will they see the fresh air? Because they don't seem to care. But they do look out the windows and see the streets in the neighborhood. Excellent. And that was Mia with uh, a poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Mia. I really loved hearing it. Thank you for producing us, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so that was uh, Cameron Gray's daughter, I, I assume. Yeah, that's her daughter, Cameron Gray, who, um, you know, is usually here. And um, her daughter wrote a poem, and she also submitted some poems for the Young Poets Anthology. So uh, hopefully we'll get to pick some up there. Um, let's call up next... Yeah, so we have uh, we have Josh Fields, we have Gail Hemmen. Before I'm going to do um, Vicky Miko here. She always has some. This is kind of long. I'll see if Vicky wants to call in, and I, I can read this if uh, if she doesn't. But uh, but let's do let's do Josh Fields. Let me see if Josh uh, emailed his poem. No, so his poem is here. I can I can uh, get it up as we go. Hang on one second. This is Norway, no way around. And we'll call up Josh right now. Yes. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. So you have a Norway, no way around. So I assume that your uh, your photo is from Norway. Yeah, I was trying to save the picture, but I wasn't able to. Um, it was really nice, um, the picture that I found. Well, let's let's paint a picture with words then. I think you're about to. Um, why don't you go ahead and read it? I'll put it up on screen. Okay, awesome. Okay, so I titled my poem, Norway, Nowhere Around. So he was trotting down the slope, FV 848 in Norway, with no destination, just himself down the highway. He didn't want to look back at his past. He peacefully kept forward, viewing the afternoon cast. In the distance, monstrous mountains, greens and browns. He felt he could swim to it, but it stretched miles. Alongside the road was tall gray rock wall, hindering secrets. Imagination running wild of the unknown, he could keep it. Growth of shrubs and trees were possible on this rock. Why was he without opportunities? He felt mocked. To his right down below was the precious water. The bright sun shining a line on top, speckles of reflection. He felt the breeze, the fresh breeze on his brown skin, a connection. He wanted to stoop down, look into the water, see his face. It was too steep the water he couldn't get a taste. The warmth of the sun, sweat droplets pouring like rain, 
Was this the meaning of love? Nature was unstrained. Hamnevik, Norway, it read, he felt like a lost stray. Dehydrated from life, nothing left to say. After all the pressure from society, he had to run away, going down this highway slope to accept he was gay. In the midst of losing himself like ripples in the water, he finally understood advice from his father. The slight cracks on the pavement were truths. A triangular curvy slope sign warned his shoes, no way around avoiding his mountain to climb, of acceptance and embrace himself this time. The open water and small trees were so calm that peace fueled him like reading psalms. Turning the treacherous corner down the slope, he didn't feel worthless, scared, or without hope. What humans fail to do, nature has shown, given energy to live fearless without shame. Pulling off his white shirt, he jumped into the crisp water, swimming all those miles without a bother. Awesome. Thanks so much. And that was uh, Josh Fields with uh, Norway, No Way Around. Thanks for sharing that, Josh. You took us there and then took us somewhere interesting. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good night. Okay. Let's see. Um, well, let's try Vicky Miko. She has a long one, and sometimes her connection isn't as stable, but we'll, we'll try it. And... Um, and if not, I could just read it for. Her. We also have uh, Carlton Johnson's here. He asked me to read it for him, which I'm happy to do. Um, let's see. I'm not sure if we're going to connect with Vicky. It's, sometimes it's a little tough. We have Gail uh, Gail Hemmen too. Yeah, I think we're not going to connect with Vicky. Um, but I'll, let me just share Vicky's poem. Um, here we go. This is uh, a pitiful convenience oh look at this picture let me let me put it on screen for everybody it's a really cool picture let me zoom in a little bit more there we go a pitiful convenience and look at that wow that is um near san antonio it says at the very top if that's uh big enough for you to see but um what a cool like that is like a painting you could have on your wall another awesome picture that that vicky Vicky Miko found on randomstreetview.com. And here I'll just read it for a pitiful inconvenience. Two crisp yellow deeds retrieved from a warp shoebox in a corner under the stairs. Mom and Dad bought one lot for each of us nearly 50 years ago, sight unseen. Experienced the healthy desert oasis for retirement or a guaranteed investment, it said. Each half acre lot faces breathtaking mountain views edging the most fertile valley just this side of the Rio Grande, it said. On the road for three days, we headed east-southeast, curious to find our land ho. Losing our signal on the outlier with three miles to go, we hit a dead stop at the Y in the road. To the south, low mountains, to the north, vacant grids. Straight ahead, behind the broom thickets, we saw the corner of a small building. Faded across the soffit, desert moose stop in, Cold drinks, sandwiches, cigarettes, rooms. Out front, a gravelly vacancy sign was staked beside a mint green willies. For sale, good runner. Nailed to the overhang, at the far end, an American flag. A moose rack cast a pointy shadow above the blistered French door, where a fattish lady with half a nose stood leaning on the knob. Talking in whistles, where's home, she asked. It was a faded place with crooked moose pictures, rows of Milton posters, and state fair banners above ragged self cellophane pinwheels every year since 73. 
New Jersey license plates along the wainscot. Faggots of dried desert broom lined the, the back wall. We're from California. Are we anywhere near Horizon Pass Estates, we asked. She kept on. Moved here in 68. That rack out front there, more'n seven feet, you see. My man, a hunter dead now, Vietnam, you know. She jerked her head with a spit, pointing to a grayscale portrait on the counter. My son there studied to be a financier till that fall. Well, y'all folks have. The son, a skinny gray guy with dirty yellow fingernails, served us bacon sandwiches, pickles, and warm cream sodas. Warm because the vending machine was out of order, she said. Sandstorms, you know, the big dusters out here. Takes a while to get them wires retied, she echoed. Emerging from a back room, heading it to Horizon, about oh fourteen hundreds, he said. You've got cash, right? Yes, ma'am. So we must be close to the Horizon Pass Estates then? She pivoted. Oh, you's looking at looking for your land. Get lots of folks stopping. Just decades ago, old Uppity shortened that fancy name. I got the last prime on the highway. Then good for business, you see. You interested in my willies out front? It's a real good runner. A school bus with three wheels, rocks, and a dust devil. That's a hyben by uh, Vicky Miko. I should read the haiku again. A school bus with three wheels, rocks, and a dust devil. And um, she includes some information here. Horizon Corp. So I think Vicky did some research. Horizon Corp accused of land fraud, October 4th, 1979. Um, there's a newspaper clipping of the, the fraud about the Rio Grande estates. And um, some history here. Here's a photograph. Um, a lot of cool research, Vicky. This is really neat. Um, yeah, that's neat. And so for, for everybody at home, I should, um, who's just listening and not, not seeing the, the, the street view that we're talking about, this is a, a state highway in a very barren landscape with two very run-down little buildings on the side of the road, kind of blurred as the Google Street camera speeds by. Thanks for sharing that, Vicky. That was wonderful. Um, let's see. We have um, Gail Hemmond. Let's call up Gail. We have uh, like 10 more minutes to spare. I'll find Gail's poem as the as it rings. Mike Bales is here too. Carlton Johnson. Hey, Gail, how are you doing tonight? Hi, good evening. I'm pretty well, thanks, Tim. How I'm are you doing tonight? great. Um, I saw you for a second, then you turned your camera off if you want to turn it back on. Okay. There you go. Hi, <laughs> good evening. So, so uh, yeah, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty well, thanks. It's a, it's great to hear everybody's poems and um, great to hear what everybody's uh, doing with with random street view. I like that half of us lost their pictures. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. I um, you know, I took a um, you know, a clip, a screen grab, but it's actually they do disappear because they're just random. So <laughs> once you X out, you can't find them again. I realized. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun prompt though. I had a lot of fun, like just looking through all the different places in the world and how you know similar and what the differences are and and you know between countries and things. It was a, it, it's a fun website. I like it. So, so what did you um, what did you come up with? Yeah, it was a very cool too. I got to talk to my brother a little bit about it and got get him excited. It's kind of fun seeing it like kind of um, kind of popcorn along or kind of like an ocean wave, one catching to the next here. Everyone's excitement. Um, I wrote about a scene. Um, I also the 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 photo is gone. Um, a view between two trees, or two trees over and looking out over an open field. Um, 
I, I did send it by email, but I can also no, pull it up. I have it right here. You too. go ahead and read it out. Put it up on screen. Okay. I found it. But you can't see it, so you have to read your own copy. Okay. Two trees, randomstreetview.org. When in front of us, there's an open field. How we frame it frames what's revealed. We may look all around our neighborhood, never knowing our view from here is good. When we see fields with their green rich, then shadows never give us a hitch. For the pair of trees marks our field, so that which we may look at may be revealed. Now when we look around at each tree, it can seem like so very many leaves. But when we look between the right trees, the vision is clearest as everything cleaves. And there is a place from between those two trees that even in night, the sun will not leave. Sure. I was thinking about just Steve Hens um, talking about kind of the before and after with discovering poetry and how it's changed my brother um, and what everybody shared here, um, you know, tonight and previous nights in Rattlecast. So thank yeah, you very so much. Thanks so much as always, Gail. I appreciate it. Okay, um, let's see. Let's do, we're sort of running out of time, but let's do um, Carlton Johnson. Okay, here we go. So this is uh, Carlton Johnson Street View. Beautiful, beautiful side of the road without much going for it. So I um, wonder what, what he did with it. Um, here we go. This is his poem. Near Varde, DK by Carlton Johnson. Are we lost again as you pull out your Baedeker guide to Denmark? Where does the time go? You wonder as we in our small Skoda sail down Route 11. We look for the turn, trying to locate Blavand Lighthouse. But signs are in Danish, and the distances are in kilometers. We are assigned until we find a sign five kilometers to the beacon built on headlands, where, the, where dune and marsh stand watch like the ancient who stood watch, waiting like the Norse explorers, sailing out and back on the winds without a map. When we came upon the lighthouse white against the blue pane of the sea, we held each other like the sea grasses grasping the sand beneath them. Ah, beautiful. I love that ending. Thanks so much. It was Carlton Johnson with Near Varde. Let me show you the, uh, the picture again really quick. This is where he's, he's talking about. Maybe we can spin around a little here it is beautiful area it reminds me of uh of oregon i guess um okay so thanks everybody for sharing your poems tonight fun as always next week's prompt is going to be right here a very simple one what's on the other side of that door that's next week's prompt what's on the other side of that door um i don't know what it is you tell me and we'll, uh, we'll find it out next Tuesday. And uh, next Tuesday's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be Jim Peterson. Um, just a, a wonderful poet. Um, a lot to talk about. He was com comes highly recommended as a poet we should have on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him. His most recent book is The Horse Who Bears Me Away uh, from Red Hen Press. And it's a gorgeous book. I have it right here. And um, a really wonderful human being. We're going to have sort of a, a deep conversation, I think. I have a feeling with Jim Peterson. That's going to be Tuesday, December 1st, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, then we'll have the prompt, What's on the Other Side of the Door? And hope to see you then. That's Tuesday, December 1st, uh, Rattlecast number 69 with Jim Peterson. Hope you have a great night, and I will talk to you later. Good night.